All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be here. <clears throat> thank you for the, your goodness to us and your mercy and your grace. We come before you today and to worship you. And we ask, Lord, that um, our hearts would be right, that we would have uh, listening ears. We pray that you'd speak to each of us in a very powerful and a very personal way. We pray if there be someone here today that has never received Christ as their Savior, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move upon their hearts, cause them to realize their sinful condition, their need of Christ, and today would be the day they'd be born into the family of God. We pray for those that are watching on the live stream, help them to sense your presence at home as well. Those of our number that may be traveling this weekend or maybe perhaps at work or some not feeling well, we, we pray, Lord, that you'd either put your healing hand upon them or give them traveling mercies and uh, just be with them in a special way also. But thank you, Lord, for today and each and every day that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number 6. And I do just want to say a word. I, it, it should not have, but it totally slipped my mind uh, as we began the service. Uh, and, and I prayed about the situation in Israel this, mor uh, this morning. And as Christians, we ought to be very aware and very concerned with what happens in the Holy Land. That that land was promised to the nation of Israel 4,000 years ago. Israel doesn't just happen to occupy that, that piece of land. God gave that to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And the holy city of Jerusalem, the holy city of Jerusalem is not only the place where Jesus paid for our sins, but it is the place where he will return to, to set up his kingdom and his throne. We're speaking about the kingdom. We're in the book of Matthew. This has been our theme. And do not, do not for a second think that what is happening is only geopolitical, it's only military. The Bible has spoken of wars in Israel and of invading armies to Israel from the Old Testament prophets into the teachings of Jesus and then with the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. The devil still is not convinced that he is going to lose this thing, but we know he is. But there will be in these last days, there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. And we are to pray and if you, if you doubt, if you doubt the authenticity of the Bible as God's word, the very fact that there even is a nation of Israel today is evidence that God's word is true. It is a miracle, and it's not the topic of the message, but it's a miracle. And from the regathering of Israel in 1948 until today, the hostile nations have come up against them. And so we should pray, but we should not only pray for military victory, but we should pray for the hearts of the people of Israel, that they would turn their hearts to the only one who can bring peace. That's Messiah Jesus. So we need to be praying. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. It's to Israel that the promises were given. And so we need to be, we need to be praying for the nation of Israel and we need to speak up. We need to be thankful we need to be thankful that our president, the president of our country, came out and unequivocally 
said that we would stand with that nation. And that's important. God promised a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. So I just think it's important as as the church that we talk about these things, that when we see them happening in our world, that we not just become isolated to what's going on in our little space, but we understand that uh, God is at work and there's a battle, a spiritual battle that goes on all throughout. All right, one more thing on that and then we'll get to the message. How many of you have ever read the Old Testament Psalms where David is just praying or other people are just praying these harsh prayers on evildoers? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're reading that and you're like, oh, Well, last week we saw, love your enemies, do good to them which persecute you. But there's also the idea throughout the Bible that those who have completely set themselves as hostile to the people of God, that it is perfectly right and just to pray for their destruction. As the enemies of God's people come up against him, that's what those psalms, these are the occasions that those psalms were written for. These are the times where we we go to those, and if you've seen the news and the horrible things that are happening to families. We need to pray those kinds of prayers. Literally pray for captives to be set free and for evildoers to be put to destruction. So it's, it's, important, it's important and uh, it's not something that... It's so easy in a day where... You know, how many of you get those like news alerts on your phone? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like your phone goes off. Well, I had to turn mine off. Because it's like every 15 minutes, you know, I, I get an update on uh, Taylor Swift's relationship status or something, right? Um, and so I'm like, turn it off. But then something like this happens, and I would have liked to know in the moment, right? But we live in a news-saturated world where we see things on the... Like, I'm literally watching on Twitter, or X, whatever it's called now. I'm literally watching yesterday a war happen right in front of us. And um, we need to not be desensitized to these things. We need to be prayerful, prayerful as Christians for um, the, the things happening in the world, especially as pertain to the nation of Israel. Okay. Well, let's shift gears now, and let's come to our topic for today. We've been working through the book of Matthew, and we've slowed down here in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to pick up speed a little bit today. And I'm going to cover a little bit larger portion of Scripture. Now, the theme is, the king, is kingdom living. That there is a totally different life when you're part of God's kingdom. And you are not automatically, nobody is automatically born into this world a member of the family of God or part of the kingdom of God. In fact, we are born in this world in the other kingdom. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. But it is Jesus that sets us free. It is Jesus that offers a new life in his kingdom. And so we've been talking a lot about this, and it's the theme of the book of Matthew. And so our theme verse, we'll actually come to it this morning, but why don't we say it together? It's Matthew 6 and verse number 33. Matthew 6, let's say this out loud together. Matthew 6, 33, begin. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Well, I want to come to chapter 6 today and look at this idea of spiritual freedom. Now, there's a key verse just a few before what we just read. And it's Matthew 6, 24. So notice this. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this verse as kind of the central 
a point, and then I'm going to show you the verses preceding and following and the idea here of spiritual freedom. But look at Matthew 6 and verse number 24. No man can serve two what? You cannot serve two masters. Well, why? Well, obviously it doesn't work. There cannot be two people in charge of your life. You, you, there can only be one master. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You say, well, Jesus, that's kind of makes sense. So what are you referring to? He, then he very pointedly addresses them and says, you can't serve God and, what's the word? Mammon. Now, depending on what translation you have, a lot of modern translations will refer to that as money. And that is correct. Mammon does mean money. However, it means more than that. Mammon is a, it's a transliteration. It comes from Actually, they, they think it, it come, they're not 100% sure because it's found in different languages, this idea of mammon. It was an ancient Middle Eastern word that was used to describe money and possessions. Really, we have a modern-day word for it. It's materialism. That it includes money, but it is more than money. Does that, does that make sense? That's what mammon would be. Jesus says you cannot serve God and you can't serve mammon or material things. And do we not live in a material-obsessed world? We certainly do. And he says you cannot serve both. Now, money is just one of the examples that Jesus gives in the passage. There are what I'm going to summarize, you could probably find a few diff more than this, but I'm going to reduce it to three examples Jesus gives about forces that are at work in the kingdom of this world that hold us captive. They allow us no freedom. When we would desire to serve God, these forces, these philosophies that are at work, they actually bring us into bondage. And the sadness of it is, these are things that Jesus has set Christians free from, yet sometimes we fall back into their traps. How many of you have achieved the perfect level of Christianity that you've aspired to? Any hands out there? Are we not always, are we not always having to remember what we read at the beginning? Okay, I got to remember, Ethan, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God's kingdom first. That's got to be my primary focus. I've got to keep reminding myself of that. I've got to keep preaching messages like this to myself as much as you. Because we are tempted to fall back into the ways of the other kingdom when we belong to the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So what are these forces at work holding us captive that Jesus wants to set us free from? Well, if you notice, on the, on the back... I gave you three, three summaries here. These three things that in this passage we need to be set free from, and oh, they hold on to us so tightly. First of all is the need to impress others. Secondly is greed or materialism. And thirdly, it's worry and fear. Jesus puts these right in a row. Now, I could preach three separate messages on each of these themes, but... We want to cover a little bit more ground, and Jesus kind of goes through them 
rather quickly. And so it's possible that all three of these things are coming up against you right now, or it's possible that maybe one of them will resonate with you. But let's begin here in verse number one, and look how Jesus addresses this need to impress. Matthew 6 and verse 1. He says, take heed, or be what? Be careful, beware, take heed, that you do not your alms before men to be, what's it say? Say that again, those three words. To be, three words, y'all. Come on now, ready? Those three words are to be seen. It would help if I gave you the first one. Then you would know how, how, which three to do, right? So, all right. To be seen. To be seen. To be seen. To be seen. Do we live in a day and age where we all desire to be seen? Yes. On your phone much? Right? The world is obsessed with being seen, being seen, being seen, and this desire to impress other people. It's not new to our age. It's just that we have more opportunity to be seen than any generation has ever had before us. To be seen. Now, this one right here for the Christian may be the most dangerous of all of these. Do you know why? Because this is an invisible sin. This is an invisible trap. Because it's all a question not of what we do or even that we are seen. But it's a question of motivation. Because let's face it, no matter what we do, to some degree, will we be seen? course we will be. But the question isn't, the, the issue here isn't that we are seen doing good, but it's that we do good, why? To be seen. And so that's what the Pharisees would do. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, how many of you know, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know what almsgiving is? This is, this is the doing of uh, giving to the poor. They're in this culture of the day, poverty was, it, it was everywhere. And the system for taking care of, there was no social welfare system. So how the poor were cared for was people who had possessions were expected to give alms. It was a moral obligation. Now, there were other things that were at play as well, the gleaning principles, and you, you may have studied all those things, but there was an expectation that if God had blessed you, you should give alms to the poor. But the problem is the Pharisees, the Pharisees had become professional, professional alms givers. And if there were social media in the day, they would have, I'm probably going to mess up all the terminology, but all of the picks, all of the, all of the almsgiving would have been for the gram, so to speak, right? They would have had it all, you know, get the caption right, get the position right, because I want people to see, I want them to see, my brother Adam, he's a, he's a social media guy, he gets, he's just like cringe factor goes up whenever I start talking about this kind of stuff. But anyway, so they would say, I 
want people to see me. In fact, listen to this. Now, how Jesus describes them. In verse 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Sounds a bit obscene, doesn't it? That they're literally like, all right, sound the trumpet. Here we come to do our good deeds. Look at what I'm about to do. Now, to us, these things are, these things are, that's an obvious. You should not draw attention to yourself when you're doing good. What are they doing it for? That they may have glory of who? Men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their what? Reward. We have a deep need to be validated by other people. Now, it's not a need that is a godly need. It's a fleshly need. In fact, in the Bible, it refers to it as the pride of life. As the pride of life. That it's not enough for us to just do good, but, or live our lives, but we need the approval and the validation of others. But have you found and have you discovered it doesn't take long for us to understand that living with that need to impress others becomes a trap for us? Because we always have to keep up the facade. We always have to one-up even our very best. And it's particularly a trap because we can take good things and we can want people to validate us for it. You say, well, what do you mean? I would never sound a trumpet or do any, any of this to do it. Well, it's infected our culture in lots of different examples. You could be a parent that always has to show the very best pictures of your kids or your family so that other people will think, will think that you're doing a great job. You could, be, you could be somebody that uh, does the, the humble brag thing about, oh, how many hours that you put in this week and, and how much adversity that you've overcome in your life. Like, are these real things? Like, am I, you know what I'm talking about here? Is this really? Is, is this, like, this is, of course, nobody's, gonna, nobody's, gotta, nobody's hired a trumpet sounder to go before them and say, hey, look at me, look at me. But our whole, the whole movement of our culture is set up that way now. Look at me, look at me. Look what we've done. There's other examples. It wasn't just that. But first he says this. He says, he says verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When we seek, for the, when we seek the approval of other people, when we live for the praise of other people, we get that praise. And Jesus says here, almost sarcastically, you should better enjoy that. Because that is as good as it is going to get for you. They have their reward. But Jesus says this, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. But it wasn't just the alms. Look at verse number five. And when thou what? 
pressed, and their almsgiving, and their prayers. They were, they're standing in the synagogue in the, so that they would be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you pray, do it in your closet. At the end of verse number 6, And your Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Not only that, but skip down with me to verse number 16. Skip down to verse number 16. So we've seen, the, we've seen their, their almsgiving, their prayers, and then verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. In each of these statements, you see the same, in each of these examples, you see the same statements. In this one, that they may appear unto men. Back in verse number 5, that they may be seen of men. And of course, in verse number 1, to be seen of them. The motivation in each of these three is for the attention and the need to impress other people. Now, what is the answer to this in the kingdom of God? Where is freedom found? Because if you live with that desire to, if you live with that desire to impress others, then you'll miss your reward with God and you will become the slave to the opinions of other people. Well, freedom is found in secret service to God. In secret service to God. He talks about secret prayer. He talks about secret giving. And he talks about secret fasting. Again, I think we could give even more examples but there are some things in our lives that only need to be known between us and God. Because we only serve one master. If you'd allow me to take the opening verse, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and the need to impress other people. You can't serve God and attention because that becomes your God. And you become a slave to whatever you serve. Freedom is found in secret service to God. Now, I have also, I want to give a little balance to this, because I have also observed a pharisaical attitude toward anti-Phariseeism, if any of you know what I mean. Like, for instance, like people that will get embarrassed if somebody knows that they've given. Is it a sin for anyone to ever know that you've ever done anything good? No. Is it a sin for people to know that you gave something, even? It's not. In fact, in the early days in the church, in the book of Acts, all the people publicly came, and they publicly laid things at the apostles' feet. They publicly came. There, was, there, there is public giving in the Bible. When the temple was built, they came and they publicly gave their gifts. All of that. So th there's not like a... A, a hard and fast rule in the Bible that every single time you give, it has to be a secret. But ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? 
Why am I serving in the church? Why am I praying? See, see them, they're, they're going to lead a prayer. Why do I, if you, if you have a public ministry in the church to, to stand and to sing or to read scripture or to do, to do something, to teach, if you have a public ministry, go back to your, the question of motivation. Why do I do this? And then some things need to be done in secret. Secret prayers, secret giving, and secret fasting. And there's freedom in laying your head on your pillow and saying, God, you are the only one who knows this. And you are the only one I care who knows this. Because I did it for you. I did it for you. Freedom. True spiritual freedom is found in secret service to God. That's how, that's true kingdom spirituality. Be careful that your good things aren't done through the wrong motivation. So that may be something this morning that is one of those forces that's it's robbing your joy, it's robbing your freedom because you just cannot help but you have to live for other people to see and validate what you do. You have a master. He's pleased with you. He loves you. Live for him. The second thing here is Jesus addressed it is, is greed and materialism. He moves and, well, we should pick up the transition. So if we could back up to verse number 18, let's find the transition, and then we'll go into verse 19. So Matthew 6 and 18, he says, You don't want to appear unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And I love this statement. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee, what? Openly. I think at the judgment seat of Christ, I've heard this said, and I think it's a wonderful picture. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's a lot of people who we would think will be at the, at the back of the line for rewards. And Jesus is going to say, no, there's some secret things in your life that I want to bring to the front. I want everybody to know what you did. Pretty cool thought. But now he shifts and he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness." Back in verse 19, don't store up treasures on earth. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. There is a difference between biblical stewardship and greedy... Now, what's the word? Well, here they're stockpiling. What they're doing is they're, they're, the word is laying up treasure. 
There's a difference between wise biblical stewardship and accumulating wealth. That's the phrase I was, and just accumulating wealth. That's the phrase I was looking for. What is the difference? Well, I think there's two words in the passage here, in the verse, that will tell you the difference between wise stewardship and just accumulating wealth and possessions. Can anybody discover the two words in here that make all the difference? For yourselves. For yourselves. You see, the Bible teaches us in many places that we should be wise with the possessions God has given us. In fact, Jesus says at one point that we are to use the money of this world for the kingdom. And he says that people in the world shouldn't be better with money than people in God's kingdom. The Old Testament says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So what is the difference between just accumulating things or stewarding resources for God's kingdom? Well, that's the difference right there. What is the purpose of this accumulation? Do we just have to have? Do we just need to possess? Do we, are we looking just for the pleasures that things can give us? Or do we say, Lord, whatever that you give me, I recognize it comes from you. And I recognize it belongs to you. That I am simply a steward. You are the master. You've given me. Paul said it this way. Paul said, I know both how to abound and I know how to be abased. In other words, Paul said, I know how to have a lot and I know how to have little. Why? Because Jesus says, Jesus says what a... What a tragedy to accumulate all of these things on earth only for the moths to chew up your favorite clothes and the rust to gather on your favorite trinkets. The, the sad thing is, it's a, this is another trap that even good Christian people fall into. Whereas God blesses, we can lose focus and we can be more excited about the blessing than the blesser. But I realize that and we've got a joke among some of us in the church, and we'll talk about, uh, you know, if somebody needs something, somebody, this all started when Nate asked to borrow my truck, and we were like, well, it's God's truck. And now we've got this thing, we've said it a few times, like, whatever, whatever, there's something, it's like, oh, don't worry about it, that's God's grill. And, uh, or this is God's this, or God's this. Everything that we have belongs to God. And I realize if God is going to give it to me, it, I don't own it. I just manage it. I just manage it. But we get possessive of things that are only going to deteriorate. We, in the coming weeks, in the coming weeks, as we prepare for our missions emphasis this year, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but one thing we always speak about during missions is finances. And not, not, it's not an awkward thing. It's a fact that God has called us to take our financial resources and deploy them for kingdom purposes. Isn't that an awesome way to think of it? To take finances and deploy them for kingdom purposes? 
as opposed to, well, I will grudgingly give part of what I have out of guilt. No, I have the privilege and the opportunity to be a steward and to take some of these resources and to invest them in the kingdom of God. That is the, by the way, you say, well, well, I don't want to be materialistic. I don't want to be controlled by it. Just like if you live for, just like if you live for the approval of others, you will become a slave to their opinions. If you live to accumulate stuff, it will control you. What do you mean it will control me? You will go into debt. You will have to work extra hours to pay it down. It, money has been said is a great servant, but a terrible master. It will control you. So you say, well, where is the freedom found? How, does the, how do kingdom people find freedom? We find freedom by living and giving for eternity. Jesus doesn't just give us a negative statement here. He gives us a positive statement. In verse 19, he says, don't lay up treasure on earth. But then in verse 20, he gives us the positive action to take. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Verse 21 is fascinating. For where your treasure is, there will your what? Your heart follows your wallet. Where you invest your resources, your money, your time, where you invest those things, where you invest them, that's where your heart will be. A lot of people think it's the opposite, but the truth is, if you say, boy, I, 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 feel, like, I feel like, you know, this is convicting because my heart is bent toward greed. Of course, you're not going to raise your hand, but in your, in your heart right now, you're thinking, boy, yeah, so what do I do? What do I do? Take a step of generosity. And Jesus says, your heart will follow. Take a step of generosity. Get involved in giving and in investing for eternity. So many principles, and I won't preach them all this morning, but you'll find it throughout the scripture, and some of them will come to in future weeks. But like when we read that, when we prepared for the offering today, we do that every week, when we prepared for the offering were, was your heart engaged? Were you worshiping God? Were you saying, Lord, this is my privilege. Lord, you have blessed me so much. And the, the Moore family in Portugal, I just, I'm just so glad that because I gave, Lord, that I invested in things that will last for eternity. That's why we do that. Because through that action... We find freedom. If you live with an open hand, you'll find that the things that you have will not control you. But listen, all of us are prone to fall into that trap. And we go through seasons of life. And I've observed in my life and in the lives of others that sometimes... Sometimes our peak generosity is not when we have peak abundance. Sometimes our peak generosity is not when we have peak abundance. You say, what do you mean? 
I mean, consider, do you remember Jesus looking at the widow saying she gave more than everybody else? And everybody's scratching their head because that little lady, she put in two pennies. She put two, two pennies in. He said, oh, well, but, but everybody else, they gave from their abundance. She gave everything that she had. And so in life, a lot of people will think, well, Lord, if you would give me more, if you would give me more, then I would give more. But is that true? Well, it might be. Paul said, I've learned how to abound. It might just be that it is true, that if God gives you more, you would give more. And maybe he will bless you with more. But maybe it's not true. Maybe God knows. Maybe God is more concerned with our heart of generosity. Maybe God knows that if he did give us more, sometimes you're like, well, why do, why do people that don't love God, why are they getting ahead further? And why that? Well, some of it is just wise principles that God put in life. But I do believe with all of my heart that we are stewards. And to some, God gave 10. And to some, God gave 5. And to some, God gave 1. Because he knows what we can handle. And he's after our hearts. So I've, I've always tried to practice in my life an a abundance mi mindset when it comes to generosity. That if I will give freely, then God will bless freely. And I would encourage you to practice the same thing. You need wisdom, you need financial stewardship, but just step out of your comfort zone and say, God, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to give to you. There was a, he, God wrote to, in Malachi to some stingy Israelites in the book of Malachi. They were required under the Old Testament law to give the tithe. And God said, you've robbed me. How? Well, you didn't give the tithe. You robbed me. But then he didn't just stop there. Then he said, prove me. Prove me, he said. Give and see if the windows of heaven don't open up a blessing for you. What a cool thing. Wouldn't that be cool in your life? Wouldn't it be awesome if you were like, God, I'm going to take the step. I'm not just going to accumulate stuff on earth where the moth and rust will corrupt it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a radical step and I'm going to give generously. And then just maybe, there's, it's not a guarantee, it's not a formula, but I'll tell you more often than not, I've witnessed in my life and people's lives that when we open up our hands and we let things go, the wider we open our hands letting things go, it just seems like that the more is put in our hands. It happens. Test the Lord. Prove him. I'm, one of the pastors that helped uh, in my training in Bible college, uh, he, he did a thing. And I remember when he pastored a church, he gave them like a 90-day a giving challenge. And he said, just, just, he took Malachi to heart. He's like, just test the Lord for 90 days and just give to him and see if he doesn't bless. And you say, well, why, why does that work? Because there's only one thing in the whole world that God blesses. It's not giving. It's not going to church. It's not reading your Bible. It's not praying. You're like, what are you, what are you talking about? There's only one thing that God blesses. Do you know what it is? It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. Everything else falls under faith. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? Because it might not involve giving. It might involve your time. Or it might involve your witnessing. 
or it might involve some area in your family life. But if you will step out and trust God, he always blesses faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith. Freedom is found in living and giving for eternity. And then this is a, a, a warning here in verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. This is a little bit of like an ancient idiom here. The light of the body is the eye. In other words, think of it this way. A more, it would be like the eye is like the window that lets things into your soul. So your soul is looking out through your eyes and it's desiring things. What does it desire? If it desires evil things, then you'll be evil. But if it desires, I got the verses backwards, back to verse 22, you're right. Uh, but if you desire, if you're focused on what God has for you, then your soul is full of light. But then in verse 23, but if you have these evil desires, then your soul is full of darkness. It starts in the desire of the heart. And that brings us finally to, it, it, it leads to this, to verse 25. And, and of course, we passed over verse 24, no man can serve two masters where we begin. But it brings us to, take, to verse 25. And this is the last thing. The other, the other force at work that keeps us in bondage is not just a need to impress others and greed or materialism, but it's worry and fear. Why do people not step out by faith and trust God in areas of their life? Why do people not? Is it because they are, is it because they are especially sinful and bad people and just terrible Christians? No, it's because there is one sin that, that affects Christians tremendously, and that is the sin of worry and fear. Did you hear what, how I described worry and fear as a what? As a sin. As a sin. The Bible commands us over and over again throughout Old Testament and New Testament, fear not. Do not be afraid. Be anxious for nothing. Here it says, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That, that literally means, and it's often translated, don't have anxiety for your life. Don't be anxious. Don't be filled with care. Don't worry. What you will eat or what will I drink or what am I going to wear? Is not the life more than meat? Isn't your life more than what you're going to eat? And your body more than what you're going to put on? Verse 26, God takes care of the birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, what is Jesus' command to fear not backed up with? A promise. He says, aren't you so much what? Better. Than them. If God will take care of the, if God's going to take care of the birds, He'll care for you. You don't have power over your life anyway. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? How many of you would like to have been able to do that? Just to add a little bit more. Think, you know, if you, how much control do you have? You don't have much. So why are you so concerned? Verse 28. 
with raiment. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of what? Little faith. Little faith. What are we being called to here? What is the answer to all of these things? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God. You can't serve mammon. You don't live for other people. They have, you have your reward. Don't live for money. Don't worry and be filled with anxiety. Why? Why? What is the answer? You and I need to have what? Faith. The answer isn't, hey, knock it off. Be a better Christian. Hey, you know, do this, do that. It starts with a simple statement that says, I will believe God. I believe him. He promised to care for me. He promised that nobody has to see what I do, but that he's pleased with me. I can let go of my insecurities because I have, I'm not just going to have little faith. I'm going to have big faith in a big God. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe that I can give generously. Why? Because he's going to provide for me. I can let go of my greed and my materialism. Why? Because I believe in God. I don't have to stay up worrying late at night and fearful. Why? Because I have a big God. Don't let your fears drown out your faith in God. Have faith, have faith, have faith. Believe. Verse 31, therefore... Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Do you see the point here? That's the way people outside of the kingdom think. But we're living in the kingdom. And kingdom people, we don't think about all those things. Why? Because we have a heavenly father. Because we have a heavenly father. And our heavenly father... Here's what's really cool about the fact that he's not just our father, but he's our heavenly father. The word father is used here to remind us that he loves us. Once you understand that, the Pharisees, Wednesday night I'll go through the Lord's Prayer, which is, we skipped over in this passage, our father who art in heaven. The Pharisees didn't pray our father. And we think of father as a formal term, but in this passage it's actually an endearing term. It wasn't like, oh, Father. It was, it was Father. He says, why can we have faith? Because if we know Jesus, we have a Father who loves us. But he's not just a Father. He's a what kind of Father? He's a Heavenly Father. He's Father God. He doesn't just care about us. But the one who cares about us is in control of all things. Now that's a powerful combination. I try my best to be a loving father to my children. Don't always live up to it, but I try to exhibit that I'm a loving father to my children. But I am not in control of all things, so I can only do so much for them. But you and I, if we know Christ, we can have faith because yes, there's a father who loves us more than any father ever could. But he's also an all-powerful father. 
He's a heavenly Father. Our Father who is in heaven. You can trust Him. You can believe Him. You can be set free from all of the... We, we just take it... I'll wrap up, but we just take it for granted that all these things are in our lives. Yeah, there's materialism out there. Yeah, you know, I'm going to struggle. I struggle with the approval of others. But wouldn't it be nice to just live free of all that? Wouldn't it be nice just to be like, yeah, as you see, not in a, not in a smug, self-righteous way, but in a faithful way to say, yeah, it's, ah, I see the world just living for approval and living for money. I am so glad that I'm set free from all of that. What a, what a, what a sigh of relief we could have to say, yeah, those things don't control me because I belong to the kingdom of my Father, and I trust Him. He's a good God. He's a good Father, and He sets me free. So, so what? We talked about all this stuff right now, right? The question now comes to the end, so what? What are you going to do with this information? Well, first of all, you have to answer the question, is God your Father? Has there been a moment in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, where you entered the kingdom of God? If not, do that today. Jesus came to die for your sin. Jesus came to pay the penalty for my sin, for your sin. And he says if we would believe in him, he would give us eternal life. We would be, we would be made his children. We'd be brought into his family, into his kingdom. Has that ever happened in your life? If it's never happened, make that decision today. By faith, accept Jesus as your Savior. Whether you're in this room or you're watching, you can do that today. As I look out, I realize that most, if not everybody, you've made that decision to accept Christ as your Savior today. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Are you living in the freedom that faith brings? I hope you are. But maybe we went through those things and you're like, ah, I am living to impress other people. Ah, I am being pretty greedy right now. Let me just be honest. Ah, these things are, this worry is controlling my life. Well, Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Just trust your heavenly father. Make a decision this morning. In the end, here, we'll come to the invitation of the service. Just get freedom from all that. You do not have, trust me, you do not have to leave. You do not have to leave with that, in that same bondage. You, if, if you are living for the, if you're living for the approval of others, you could say, you know what? This week, I'm just going to turn the phone off. And I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to live on there this week because it controls me, what people think of me. I'm going to turn that off for the week. You could make a practical decision today by faith that would set you free from living for the approval of others. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to let go of some of my money today. And you could literally, on the way out, put something in the offering box. Or you could, you could get radical. And you could be like, you know what? God, by faith, Trav, you like this? You could be like, you could be like I'm just going to double it, God. I'm just going to double it this week. And see what you do. 
I'm not twisting anybody's arm or, or trying to guilt anybody. I'm just saying, do we believe that faith makes a difference in our lives? And that it's real where the, the rubber hits the road. You could do something practical today that shows and demonstrates to God that you're a part of his kingdom and that you're fully committed to this kingdom thing. You could just do it. You could go at the end and you could say, you know what? You could just say, I am not, I refuse to worry about that. And when the worry comes into your life, you could say, you know what? God, you could pray a simple prayer every single day. God, you could go, you could pray the Lord's Prayer every day to solve your worry problem. And you could say, Give me this day my what? My daily bread. God, you're going to meet my needs today. You could do something practical in your life today to demonstrate that you belong to the kingdom and that you're going to live by faith. So make the decision. The so what to the sermon. I mean, I preach for 45 minutes. They give me a little button tell me how long it is. Don't waste the moment. Yeah, I know you know. But don't waste the moment. Make a decision that will impact your life in a real way this week. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's do it right now. Let's make a decision by faith right now. Is there anybody in here that would say, with an upraised hand, you'd say, God convicted me of something this morning. God spoke to my heart this morning. Okay, hands up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, how many of you would put your, your hand back up and say, I'm going to do something about it today? All right, more hands right up. You've got a decision that you've made today. That's what we do at church. We let the Holy Spirit speak to us, and we leave differently than we came in. So right now, whatever it is, I want to ask you to commit it to the Lord. Now, maybe you just pray at your seat. Maybe you want to, maybe you want to pray at the altar. You want to make a public, like, well, not public because we keep our heads bowed, but you need to do something and you feel the need to do something tangibly to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. So whether you commit it to God, speak it. Speak the words. Don't just think the thoughts, but speak the words to God. Say, God, this week, this is the action I will take to demonstrate that I believe what you said, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that I'm part of your kingdom. Make the decision. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never made that decision, don't wait a minute longer. Right now in your heart, you can say, you can confess your sin to God and you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart week after week and you realize today that you need to be saved. Pray to the Lord. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died and rose again for me, and I ask you to save me. I put my faith and my trust in you and you alone. Pray that to him this morning, whether you're in this room or you're watching. But whatever the case, Christian or non-Christian, make the decision right now to put your faith in Christ. To put your faith in Christ, not just to be saved, but to live for him. We're going to sing, my God shall supply all my needs. Make the decision right now. We'll have just a moment of prayer. Commit that to the Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each person right now that is making that decision for you. Lord, there, there may be someone here that's struggling. Something's got a hold of them. You have not, your blood did not purchase our freedom for us to go back living the way we would without you. Lord, I pray that if there's one that is just struggling to trust you, that they'd make the decision. They'd make the decision 
to believe you this week, to walk out of here in a way that's different than they came in. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for this reminder from your word. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that the reality today as we leave would be that you are all that we need, that we would put our faith in you, not just for our salvation, Lord, but for our, Lord, our daily walk, our daily life. Lord, help us to rest in you and not to worry and not to fear. God, I pray for those of us who you've challenged this morning. I pray that we would make commitments before we leave. If we have made commitments, I pray that you would help us to stick to those by your power and your strength. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.